So Patrick and I have had a Pastor Patrick and I have had a fun time this week talking about this text we're going to look at today. Uh, I think he said it was one of the very first things he ever spoke on, and uh, it, it's one of those texts that you could you could spend two or three weeks just on on the verses. But we've we've got time only today to cover it. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in John the fourth chapter, and, and it's a great text because if ever you've wanted a reason or a good excuse to to have to share your faith, if ever you've wanted to go, I, I just want to know why I should bother. This text absolutely explains it. It's all about how Jesus is all about relationships. It might seem like an odd text to use, or at least an unexpected text to use in the midst of a series of messages in a capital campaign, but it really isn't because there's no point in trying to build something for the church or build something in the church if it isn't building it for Jesus. And if we're building it for Jesus, it's because of people. And that's what this text is all about. Uh, It's a great opportunity uh, for us to see how we can have our eyes open and be aware and be prepared when maybe it looks like we are, are focused on other things. As disciples of Jesus, we need to look for and we need to see opportunities to share and to be the love of Jesus in a world where so many people, all they hear about is judgment and condemnation, and they, they hear and see things from people, even in churches, that make them want to do nothing but stay away. But as disciples of Jesus, that's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people who attract folks to the church, not because of who we are, but because of the Jesus that they can meet there. And, and when people get the idea that they're going to speak poorly of folks, to condemn them, to judge them, to send them packing out of a church, I'll tell you something, no church on earth is ever going to grow out of fear. God's church isn't going to grow out of fear. God's church is going to grow out of love. That's because God is love. And the love of Jesus is what we exist to share with the world around us. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Gospel of John, chapter 4. I'm going to read some of these verses. I'm going to summarize some others. So uh, you'll just kind of have to keep up as we go. Jesus is traveling, and he's kind of heading back home. And to get there, he's got to go through a country called Samaria. Well, Samaria was an interesting place because it had a group of people, the Samaritans, that the Jewish folks didn't like at all. Uh, they were partly Jewish, but partly a lot of other uh, groups of people. And the people who were truly Jewish in Jerusalem didn't like them. They, they didn't want to spend time with them. In fact, they kind of built a culture of a, as a means of avoiding them. So for Jesus to go through Samaria is a really unusual thing. But the Bible says that's what he does, that he left Judea and he departed for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So he's kind of going north in his home country of Israel and he's going through Samaria. It says he came to a town in verse 5 called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This area is historically rich in history in the Old Testament, but it looks like a hilly version of our parking lot. It's that color brown. It is dirt and rocks. There is nothing to note in the area really at all other than if you want to call these hills and valleys and things natural beauty. But there's a tremendous amount of history that's there. It's actually a neat looking area because we don't have anything like it in this part of our country at all. But it's dry desert. Verse 6 says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus has been walking, and just like you and I, he got tired. It's the desert. 
John records that it was the sixth hour. That's our clue that tells us the time of day in our terms is noon. The first hour of the day was 6 a.m. That was when the day got started and people started moving around. The sixth hour is noon. The, the New Testament refers to at the time of Jesus' death, the ninth hour. That would be 3 o'clock. It's the way that we can keep tabs on what the clock is with using their way of keeping time, not our own. More importantly, he goes to the well. He sits outside the well, outside of this village. Interesting place for him to stop. You would think that a guy who wanted to go let as many people know who he was and what his mission on earth as their, as their savior was would go into the village, but he doesn't. He stops outside at the well. Interesting decision because the well was where the women from town would come to get water for the day, typically early in the morning, to avoid the midday heat. And they had their own culture. It was kind of their version of a coffee shop, if you would. The women were able to come to the well and congregate together outside of the ears and the mouths of the men in town. It was ladies' time. They got to gather and to have their own conversations. You can imagine Jesus, being a Jewish man, really had no business at a well, much less one in Samaria. It didn't make sense at that time of day, in the heat of the day, it didn't make any sense at all because the chances are there was nobody that was even going to come there. And so everything he was doing was completely against the religion that he was brought up to believe and how to act. Twelve o'clock noon, the heat of the day, a tired Jesus comes and sits at a well. The ladies of the village would have already been there long before, hours before, to get their water for the day for cooking and cleaning. And yet Jesus placed himself where he knew that people would choose to go. Why? Because Jesus is all about relationships. And it might seem, if you understood the culture, what a strange time to go there, Jesus. But he knew what he was doing. Because about that time, in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. There's a problem here, religiously. Jesus, who's a leader at the church, is a Jewish man. He's got 12 disciples with him that are watching everything that he says and does. Sits himself at a well that they know good and well only women are going to come to. It's the middle of the day, and sure enough, a Samaritan woman of all people comes to draw water. Jesus doesn't even have a way to utilize the well. He says to her, give me a drink. The fact that he would talk to her goes beyond anything that he would have been allowed to do with his religion. He's breaking all the rules, but he says, give me a drink. It says in verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The disciples were worried about tasks. They were worried about getting the, the things done that needed to get done in order so that they could get on with their day and get back home. They were worried about doing the busyness of life, and so they were going about the business of life. They left Jesus there never even considering that he had nothing to use to drink water with. They're so consumed with hunger that they completely took themselves out of an opportunity. But Jesus knows what he's doing. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman says to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? And John includes, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Knowing that somehow down the road at some point people would read this and they wouldn't understand the animosity that these two groups of people felt. She has to be shocked. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, he, he's not into small talk, right? Jesus doesn't, doesn't spend time getting to know her or kind of explaining who he is. He says, no, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, 
You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's very practical, just like the disciples are being very practical. If this was happening today, she would probably think that this is some kind of a sci-fi or some sort of strange uh, thing that he's talking about, this living water. It doesn't make any sense to her, but she's interested in it. Where do you get living water? What, what does living water do? What does it taste like? Uh, how does it work? She's only familiar with water from Jacob's well. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Suddenly she's saying, you know, you asked me for a drink, but then you don't even have anything to take water from. Who do you think you are? Verse 13, Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman looks at him and says, sir... Give me this water. And then she misses the point. She says, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking, this is awesome. I've got to come to the well at noon because, you know what, the people in town don't like me very much. And if I can get this living water and I'm never going to be thirsty again, that solves a lot of my daily problems. Mister, whoever you are, give me this living water. That would be great. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Simple statement. At this point, reading it, it it doesn't seem to even quite fit. But maybe Jesus wants to explain to her and her husband exactly what this living water is and what they can do with it. So he makes a very simple statement. But we know that Jesus is God, and we know that, that Jesus already knows the answer. So there's more to it than that. Jesus already knows her entire life story. So what he's doing is he's giving her the courtesy and the kindness of telling her to go get her husband so she can uh, have him join Jesus, so that way it's not this awkward conversation between a Samaritan woman and a Jewish man. And the woman answered him in verse 17, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. If you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband, what you have said is true. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say any more about her life than that. And so often in the church, I meet people who say, I used to go to church, but the problem is you Christians, you church people, you're so judgmental, you're so hypocritical, you're just looking for a chance to condemn people. And that's the attitude that so many people out there have with us. And it's true, it's fair. Sometimes we deserve it. But Jesus just simply says what you've said is true. He doesn't call her out on her five husbands. He doesn't make a big deal about her sin. See, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus isn't easy on human sin. So don't don't hear me say that. Jesus is big on relationship. In fact, Jesus is so concerned about human sin that he gave his life because of our sin. Don't say that Jesus doesn't care. That's not true. But Jesus is deeply loving and tremendously gracious to sinners. And he does it over and over and over in his short lifetime. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. How else would he know everything about her five marriages, right? Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She knows that he's Jewish and she believes he's a prophet, so she, pers- she understands him to be a religious man. So she's going to try to tie her religiousness up against his. Jesus said to her, woman, 
Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. She doesn't understand what he's saying at this point. She thinks that he's just bragging. She thinks that he's doing what Jewish people always do with Samaritans, and that's dismiss them and absolutely ignore them and treat them so poorly. And yet Jesus realizes this is, this is a golden opportunity. And see, we've got these golden opportunities in our life as well. We can either choose to condemn people and judge people and tell them how, what horrible sinners they are, but the thing is they already know that. What they might not know is who Jesus is and how much he loves them. And so when we run into these opportunities, when we take advantage of these, these conversations, we can either make people feel bad about themselves, which they already do, because you know when you do something that you shouldn't do, you don't need someone to constantly remind you of it and make you feel worse about it. You know when you've done something wrong. What you want to know is that you're still lovable, that there's still hope and that there's still a chance. See, we've got these golden opportunities to share the truth of Jesus. People who are spiritual but who don't know Jesus are like this woman in Samaria. They say that they're spiritual now. We hear it in our country all the time. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm a very faithful person. I don't go to church and I don't believe in Jesus. That's what he's running into with this woman. He's running into a woman just like that. And so what we get to do, we get to tell them about what they're really seeking. And that's relationship, meaning, purpose. They're seeking why they're here. What's the purpose that are even being alive? Does their life mean anything? What about their death? And what we get to do is to talk about the one that came that we might have a relationship with him, and that's Jesus. Verse 23, and Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when true worshipers will worship with the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. She's faithfully religious, just like so many people who go to church today. But what Jesus says, there's more than that. God is looking for people who worship in spirit and truth. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. From the very beginning, one of the things that we talked about when there were seven of us standing around or sitting around in a coffee shop talking about what has become this church, we said we need to be a place that understands and takes seriously worship. We have to understand God's heart for worship, and we have to be a church that raises up worshipers. Why? Because God asks us to worship Him. God wants us to worship Him with abandon, all of our hearts and all of our souls, all of our minds, right here because of this verse. We said we've got to be a place that raises up worshipers that understand what it is to worship in spirit and truth with all of what we are. People who know Jesus, who love Him, and who worship God with everything they have. Jesus is telling this woman that, yes, you're faithful. Yes, you're religious. But you're missing the point. And the woman says to him in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's faithful. She knows what to expect. She's staying in touch with the Scripture. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. She's faithfully religious, and Jesus just blew her mind. She knows the Messiah is coming. She's waiting just like the Jews are. And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. So Jesus stood before her and told her that all of her religiousness was actually about him. 
All of that spirituality that she held on to was about him. All of this worshiping in Samaria and feeling good about it, even though they weren't in Jerusalem, it was all about him. In this very kind, very truthful, very honest, very caring way, he tells her that this is the one you're waiting for, me. I'm standing right here in front of you. And it's Jesus seeking a personal relationship with her. This man that she meets at this well in the middle of the day in the blazing heat of the desert sun. And the heartbeat of this place, the heartbeat of our congregation, is to speak of and live out in spirit and truth the love of Jesus with the people who are around us and the people who in the world that we can reach in every way that we can. This whole campaign I talked to you about introduced last week, it's all about creating opportunities to do just that thing to create woman at the well moments for us where we get to have conversations with things that with about things that really matter with people who really matter and you know what when you start getting serious about that when you start looking for those opportunities what you're going to find is people who say this and and I actually had this said to me by by a Jewish rabbi he said I didn't know Christians cared about us there's people out there that don't know that you as a Christian care about them. We, we just consider them lost and sinners and people who are beyond hope. And you know what? When you actually have a conversation with them and say, Jesus loves you and I want to I talk to you. It's mind-bending for people just like it was for this woman at the well. Then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But nobody said anything. Nobody asked her what do you seek? Or him, why are you talking with her? They didn't know what to say. Jesus was so far outside of what normal religion was that they didn't have a word for either of them. They just showed up. They were, they were the ones that went into town to try to take care of their hunger. They didn't even ask Jesus if he was hungry. They were into town to chase down falafel and hummus. And they come back to Jesus and they don't know what to say. They were surprised, but not one of them asked the question. And so often in church, we do the same thing. We get so comfortable with the way that we've always done it and with, with the, the system that we create and the structure that we have that when an opportunity arises, we don't even see it for what it is because it doesn't fit what we expect. So how about we be a church that looks for unexpected opportunities? How about we be a church that looks for seeing and seeking the hundreds of opportunities that we miss right now that happen all around us every day. If only we trust God and if only we're willing to step out in faith together, we can actually do what we've been talking about here for years, and that's change the culture in the name of Jesus. But we don't do it because we're great or because we're awesome. We do it because Jesus is awesome, and he started it all those years ago for us. What would happen if we started looking for those opportunities? Not for opportunities to tell people how they're wrong, but opportunities to tell people why Jesus is right. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. See, the disciples weren't talking to her. She didn't fit their expectation, and so they didn't talk to her at all. Remember, no one asked a question. And so this lady that had just had this introduction to Jesus, who said that he's the Messiah, left her water jar, and she went away into town. And now she's got to go talk to those people. And why would she talk to those people? Well, see, now we know more of the story. And more of the story is why she came at noon. Why did she come at noon? Because she was that lady in town that had five, five husbands before. Now she's living with the guy she's not even married to. She was that lady. And so when the rest of the ladies went out, 
these religious women, these church-going people, when they went out to the well in the early morning, she was part of what they talked about. The reason that she had to go at noon was because she lived her life, I would be willing to guess anything, that she lived her life avoiding those people because they were mean. They weren't kind to her because of the life that she'd lived. We understand now why it is that she's there at noon. We understand now why Jesus positioned himself there. We understand why Jesus went out of his way to create an opportunity to have a conversation with her because my guess is nobody else in that village ever took time to have a conversation with her. And I find it so fascinating because all that Jesus did was to tell her the truth of her marriages. So she goes to the people of the town who she probably never talks to anyway. In verse 29, she says, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? All he did is told her about the truth of her marriages. Yes, you had five husbands and the man you're with now, you're not married to. And that was all it took for her to go back to town and say, come and see. Come and meet him yourself. This woman that was forced to go to the well in the middle of the day to avoid the other women in town goes back into the city. And she says, he told me everything I ever did. You know what she really did? She said, he understood everything that I've ever done wrong in my life and he still cares. See, the fact that she called those five marriages all she ever did says that's the baggage, that's the weight, that's the guilt that she's been carrying. And you know what? You have it and I have it and everybody you know has it. And the thing that doesn't happen all the time in the Christian churches, we tell people, you know what? We love you because Jesus loves you. Yeah, that's your past, but let's talk about your future. She says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. See, she knew her sin, and Jesus didn't shy away from it, but he showed his love to her in spite of and through her sin. That's not something the church does, and Christians do all the time very well. More often than not, we make people like this lady feel like they don't belong. And yet Jesus is showing right here, this is exactly who the Christian church is for. See, when we heap condemnation and judgment on people because of their past, when we gossip about them and when we spread rumors, we're only giving them a reason to avoid us and run from Jesus. And that's not who we're called to be as Christians. We want to attract people to Jesus as he shines through us. We want to be a church full of people who love people for who they are, who introduce them to Jesus. Yep, is Jesus going to say, I love you just the way you are, you don't have to change? No, what Jesus does is says, I love you just the way you are, and I love you too much to let you stay that way. And that message begins with you and me. Verse 30, they went out of town and they were coming to him. They came to meet the man Jesus for themselves. They came to have their own personal encounter with Jesus. What did this lady do right? She said, come and see. Come and meet the man. When you invite someone to church, it isn't because you have to have all the answers to the Bible. It isn't because it's going to be the greatest music in the world. It isn't going to be because it's the best preaching in the world. It's going to be because people have an opportunity to meet Jesus here. Through you and through the people who gather. Through the message and through the music. And that's all she said is, come and meet the man. Meanwhile, in 31, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anybody brought him something to eat? They're wondering if somebody did their job for them. Did somebody already feed him? And what's, that, what's the point of us going to town then? 
Who are the, Jesus, what do you mean you're not even hungry? They're more concerned about food and proper order and the way things are supposed to be so that they can get on the road. And the fact is they missed the whole point of Jesus' life. And we see with the disciples, that's the story over and over and over again. And folks, don't miss the point of Jesus' life. That's to be in a relationship with people because Jesus loves us. So Jesus set them straight. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Don't say, for there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ready for harvest. This is more true in America today than it's ever been in our nation's history. This is why. What that Samaritan woman at the well wanted was truth. She knew what the Bible said. She knew what her Bible, the Scriptures said. But she wanted truth. She wanted to meet the man that connected the dots. And you know why this is more important today than it's ever been before? If you ask, Pastor, why are you so passionate about this capital campaign? Because you know what, folks? Today's the day. This is our time. Because we live in an America where people are starving for the truth. People don't know what to trust. They don't know who to trust. And so we go to places that tell us what we want to hear. But you know what? We still can't trust them. And the one thing that we know as Christians is that we can always trust Jesus and we can always trust God's word. The unchanging truth of God is in our hands in the Bible. The fact is, in America, we're used to being lied to and it's gotten to the point where we just let it slide because we say, well, that's what they do. It isn't okay. And so we settle for less than the truth and we settle for being disappointed and we settle for not really knowing when you and I know Jesus and we know the truth and people can really know. Jesus is our truth. The unchanging word of God in our hands, the Bible, is the truth. And our time is now to pour everything that we have into reaching the people of the world around us. Did you know that our area has one of the highest percentages of non-church-going people in the nation? And I have to say that carefully. It isn't the highest percentage of people who don't know who Jesus is. They're not truly unchurched. They're people who choose not to go to church. When people have asked, so what's the context? What kind of congregation do you live in? What what are you building your church? And I say, we've got all kinds of people who are over church. They've been there and done that, and they haven't seen enough people, and they haven't seen churches that actually believe what the Bible says enough to live it. And so people go, you know what? I'm just not interested. They know Jesus. They They just don't have a relationship with Jesus. The last study that I saw said nationally the averages go between 40 and 60 percent of Americans would say that they're not a Christian, they don't have a church home. In our area, that number is something higher than 80%. 80% of the people that you know, your family, your friends, the people you work with, the people you pass on the street, would not say that they know Jesus in a personal way that they're going to heaven. They don't know the truth. And so they're dying because they're accepting a substitute for the truth. 80%. They don't even know that they need Jesus because no one has made the time to have a conversation to let them know who Jesus really is. And we get to be the ones who live out the love of Jesus in real and practical ways. But just like with Jesus at the well, we've got to think about it differently. We've got to think about it in ways that we haven't thought about it in the past. Not just because of the pandemic and not just because of what's going on in our country at the moment, but because... Our culture and our world has changed. And if we're going to make inroads with people, then we have to be willing to do things differently and to do things drastically. 
We've got to be willing to be ones who stand up and say, God, use us to change and to reclaim the culture in the name of Jesus. And what happens when someone dares to do that? This woman that the entire village turned their back on. It says in verse 39, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. She didn't know anything more about Jesus than that. She just came and told him the truth of her encounter. He told me everything I ever did. And it says that many Samaritans believed because of her testimony. You think that your testimony isn't good enough to introduce someone to Jesus? Take a look at this lady. What people want to know is that you believe in Jesus and why. They don't want to know how deep your knowledge is. They don't, they don't want to know how many Bible verses you've memorized. They want to know if you believe in Jesus and why. Her answer was, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You know what? What we hear from him lines up with what the scriptures that we've had tell us. We believe he's the one. You know what? You take and put yourselves in a position to talk to someone about Jesus, and they're going to go, you know what? A lot of them are going to say, that's not the Jesus that I grew up knowing. If that guy's real, I'm willing to listen. See, they wanted to know more, so he stayed two more days. They believed the woman enough to meet Jesus, and when she said, come and see, they came out and they did just that. When you invite someone to church, what you're really doing is saying, come and see. Just come and see. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe people you know know the truth of who Jesus is, but they've never been given a reason to believe in him. What they're looking for is, is truth that lines up with their experience in life. And that's what happened to these folks. Maybe it's as simple as saying, come and see. The disciples, they represent an awful lot of what church has become. We've never done it that way before. That's out of the box. That's kind of unconventional. We're not going to do that. Jesus says, no, she matters more than all of that. See, God's called us as the open door into existence to stand in the gap for the people of our area and to connect them with the love of Jesus, a love that they're dying to know is real. But they just need someone who's willing to tell them. See, our generosity, your generosity and my generosity as we go through this capital campaign, is going to create opportunities to reach an untold and unknown number of people on this side of heaven. See, if we truly believe that Jesus is who we say that he is, now is the time, and what better use of our time and effort and money is there than to help people understand that truth is Jesus. There's nothing more worthy, there's nothing more important, there's nothing more lasting that we can possibly pour our time or effort or money into than letting people know who Jesus is. I've told you a number of times that we're only stewards, we're only caretakers of everything that we have. And it's true. And the example that I use is a true real-life one. On the day that you die, everything that you currently own and possess goes to someone else. It isn't actually yours. You get to use it. You get to decide what you do with it. You get to steward it. What better way to steward is it than to help people come to know who Jesus truly is. My wife is a financial planner. Deidre's been a, not just a worship leader, but she's a financial planner. She's been a financial planner for 20 years. She's really good at it. One of the things, one of the most important things that she does is sits down and works with people 
and creates a plan for how is it that we can get your money to outlast you. Because you don't want to outlive your money. If you outlive your money, you've got nothing to live on. And so part of what she does is helps make that money last for as long as they're going to live and beyond. And then that beyond part, when they die, that's the part that your stewardship ends. And then you decide who it goes to. But the thing is this, there's one eternal thing that we truly can do with our money. And that's to give it back to God and to put it back into his hands through the church and to pour it into the lives of the people around us. And that's what this thing is all about. Next next uh, Sunday and in two weeks, you're going to get uh, a commitment card. Uh, here's what they look like, and so I don't want to surprise you with them. This is part of what we're going to do to be able to reach the world around us. A lot of folks wonder, how much do I give? How much can I give? What can I afford? What am I going to do? The back of it is like this. If if you're looking to figure out how it is that you can you can support this by reaching the people in our area. This is going to help it break it down in a budget way. This is the front of it. I don't want you to. I don't want it to scare you. This is what we're going to hand out. Don't not come in two weeks. Please come in two weeks and bring your friends that know Jesus. Here's why: because we're going to use all of what we gather to reach people in our area with the good news of Jesus. Because 80% of them don't know. There's nothing more important than we can be doing. We grow ourselves in faith and we come to church to grow in our knowledge and our obedience. And this is part of where it is that the rubber hits the road, if you will. See, God has called us to lead. God has called us to be leaders in his church, in his kingdom, and in this area. And what are we going to do? We're going to lead the way into the culture around us and to reclaim it in the name of Jesus. And I know that's not what every church talks about. And yes, I know that's a very big vision. And yes, I know there's no way we can accomplish it. Without God's hand, and I agree. That's why we're going to do it. If you think about the difference that we could make saying, you can't do it on your own, I can't do it on my own, we as a church can do it with God's hand on us. We can actually carry that vision forward into the future for generations to come. And from day one, that's what we've been about, to love Jesus, to love people, to teach people to love Jesus. And when we do that, we build relationships so that we can share Jesus with them. And so the land and the spaces and the buildings and everything that we do going forward is going to create, is going to be to create opportunities like this well that Jesus met the Samaritan woman at. It's going to create opportunities to have conversations and to go through life and to do things of life with people so that we can share Jesus with them, so that we can meet new people who can meet Jesus in a new way. Instead of gathering for an hour on Sunday morning, we're going to build spaces where we can gather all week long with people, where we have opportunities to gather at the well that will be right here on this property that God has entrusted to us to steward, where we can choose to be in relationships with believers and non-believers, and we can choose to talk about the things that are important to us, and that's Jesus. And here's the deal. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, you're nuts. You're just asking for money again. No, actually, I'm not. What I'm saying is every one of us can identify with this woman at the well. Every one of us can. Your history might be different. Your story might be different. But here's the thing. Jesus already knows everything you ever did. And he loves you anyway. And what we want to do is we want to be a church that loves the people in this area for who they are, not for what they've done, but for who they are and who they are to Jesus. And we just want to make sure that we can help connect them to the one who died for their sins and wants to spend eternity with them. That's what this is about. So the woman at the well, yep, could have been a man at the well. Could have been you, it could have been me, because the fact is it's all of us. 
And what Jesus did was he took time, despite what his disciples wanted him to do, he took time to have a relationship with her. And Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Let's pray. God, this is, this is a hard thing for us to understand. It's a hard thing to get our head around that, that we could do things differently, differently, that we could be a church that isn't like the church that we grew up in, that isn't like the other churches that we know, but rather is a church that wants to create spaces and places and opportunities to talk about you. God, we, we want to do that. We need to do that. We need to do it for our children. We need to do it for our, our friends, our coworkers, our spouses, our families, our parents. We need to do that, God, for people that we don't even know who, who you have set up, that you have set aside for us to meet, that you're going to bless our obedience with new people who we get to share the love of Jesus with. God, thank you for bringing us to this place and this time to be about this journey and this, this incredible kingdom thing that we get to be a part of. God, help us to have hearts that just want to share Jesus with people that we realize that everything that we have is really yours and that we have the opportunity in this life to use it to reach people with the good news of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, as you head out, here's what I really hope you think about this week. What are the opportunities that God gives you through the week to just simply say, come and see? It's as simple as that. That was what that woman did at the well. She went back to the village knowing those people weren't particularly fond of her. And what she said to them was, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. You know, when you meet somebody who's going through a struggle, when you meet someone who's just had a success, when you meet somebody who is at their wit's end, it doesn't really matter. If they don't know Jesus, they're not where they can be. And it's as simple as taking that opportunity that God presents you with and saying, come and see. Going to church Sunday morning, 1045, it's a time change. Would love to have you join me. I'd be happy to pick you up. You know what? Maybe the single most significant thing you can do this week is invite someone to come and see and meet Jesus for themselves.